It's about history. It's about preservation. It's about sense of place here on Eastern Long Island. With Esperanza Leon, I'm Erwin Levy, and this is Our Hamptons. Esperanza. Hello, Erwin. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna open this episode, Esperanza, with um, my habit of being somewhat redundant. You never. I, oh, you're you're very kind. But um, I love this topic. <laughs> I yes, and and you know what, redundancy is actually good because sometimes it's necessary to repeat things for it to actually be absorbed. I'm gonna go with that. I like that. And the episode today is really about a very prominent back in the day, East Hampton family, not originally from East Hampton, but came to East Hampton. Um, and ultimately, well, let's give the names first. It was Frank Wyborg. Yes. And his wife, Adeline Mooton Sherman Wyborg. And by the way, we've touched on this in prior episodes. When there's multiple names, you know, there's sort of a lineage going There's on. a significance to that, yes. I, I, exactly. And to just give a little teaser from the very get-go uh, regarding Frank and Adeline Mooton Sherman Wyborg. And this is a quote, marrying Adeline transformed Frank Wyborg from up and coming to already there. <laughs> and part of her lineage was her uncle, Senator John Sherman, the writer of the legislation for the Sherman Antitrust Act. No, Still no. going on to this day. No one. That's just yeah, no just one. Uh, exactly. Exactly. And we're gonna get it, you know, we're gonna get in there. There was the daughter and son-in-law who added a whole other element of the story. The builder, George Eldridge, Sea Spray Inn. Right. Yes. Hampton Star Building. We got a lineage and a history there. And we're gonna segue in as we go along with the architect they hired, Grossferner Atterbury, who okay. has a, I mean, there's so many connections here. Esperanza said at the start of this episode, do we have enough time for this? I said, well, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's juicy. It's as juicy my son and would meaty. Say. Yeah. Or meaty, <laughs> a word we've used here in the past. So yes. Um, and, and of course the house itself, which we'll get into um, is probably the star of the show, but we're getting, a, you know, we're going to start the story with a great article from the East Hampton Star from 2019. So we're circa four years ago at this point. But, and that article started with this line, Esperanza. If you ever wondered what the grandest house in East Hampton was a century ago, Frank B. Wyborg's The Dunes would be a top contender. I'd say that's a pretty fair statement. No doubt. No question. And, and yes. And by the way, uh, there's a beach called Wyborg Beach in East Hampton Village that didn't just get its name from anybody. That was yeah. all his land. Yeah. Which, this man which, owned a whole lot of land in uh, East Hampton. He certainly did, and it overlooked. Even where the Maidstone called. Club, I think, it, uh, it, was originally his, no? His, his acquisitions, and now this is another excellent Esperanza Leon segue. We were getting to this anyway. Um, to quote... Calvin Tompkins' book, Living Well is the Best Revenge. Wyborg, God, I even love the title, right? Wyborg was a genuine land baron, and his East Hampton holdings, according to that Calvin Tompkins' book, encompassed, I mean, 
600 acres. Wow. I mean, now that's, and as he said, this is a mind blowing parcel by any measure. And one that today, now they're going back to 2019, conservatively estimating it at 1 billion. It could be four years later in this insanity, even more. Right, right. Yeah. If you put a a dollar sign, and as runs, if you recall episodes we've done previously on uh, the Bell Estate, on. Well, that's what I was thinking. I mean, I was thinking of the Bell Estate. I mean, this blows that out of the water. And the same thing with Bayberry Land in Southampton. It was more acreage. So, and again, um, you could argue even primer oceanfront well i was Um, just that's that was going to add that this was all shoreline right i mean yeah crazy stuff crazy stuff so but who were these people i guess we should really briefly talk about that esperanza you know frank weiborg born in cleveland in 1855 um graduated we're gonna we'll just push through because we don't it's not this is not really this is while it's a frank weiborg story it's really we want to get to the parts germane to east hampton he went to work for levi alt and this is where the story gets pretty cool, who sold printing ink. Mm. Their relationship soon developed into a partnership. And in 1878, they founded the old... 1878, he's 23 years old at this time. (laughs) I mean, okay. Founded the Alt and Weiborg Company in Cincinnati, which would become a a top producer and distributor of inks and lithograph supplies. Like the the go-to for ink. Esperanza, do you think it's fair to say if you were using a pen in this era, <laughs> you were using Weiborg's ink? Yes. I'm going with that. I'm, I'm going to go with that too. Okay. So by the time he was 40, Weiborg was a self-made millionaire. Again, when a million dollars really meant something 100 years ago, um, with offices all across the country and around the world. Yet, while they were from Cincinnati, you know, I, I've just thought of this connection, which I want to segue myself here real briefly. The Proctor and Gamble families from um, the um, Devon Colony, Cincinnati-based also, I'm going to guess they might have been some kind of connection, which we uh, could explore in another yeah. day. Maybe, uh, it's right? interesting to think how, you know, how they ended up at this far end of Long Island, right? right? Cincinnati. You Not being think, okay. in New York. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, or go somewhere closer, lakefront and around Michigan, one yeah. state north. You know, but But I guess it's I guess it's safe to say if he had offices all around the country and around the world, New York was probably the place to be, you know, sort of a gilded age kind of thing. And uh and yeah, it was the summer colony was the I, start of the summer colonies out here. Apparently, yeah, I would I would I would go with that. So they were summer vacationers. They rented, and you know, here's an Esperanza, another thing we've spoken of, how in this era, even prominent families were renting rooms. Yes, yeah, in, boarding in house North- kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A sneak preview, our Hamptons podcast audience. Esperanza and I have been banging around. We got to do a boarding house episode, and like yes. this sort of plays into it. Absolutely. This is, this is a prominent family. He, money was no object, and yet, I guess due to the scarcity of where you could rent, or it was bull- it was boarding houses or maybe small cottages in the village in Amagansett. Yeah. Uh, but they did purchase this property in the spring of 1909 from a Mrs. Marshall um, Smith. And the house itself, the Dunes, it was born in 1912. So they started this. They built it in 1909. It was basically finished between 1910 and 1912. Um, it was done with the assistance of, and we'll talk about him a little bit more later, 
Grossferner Atterbury, really a you know, Southampton base, but a lot of prominent projects in New York, the Mets American Wing and Forest Hills Gardens, Queens, which is an extraordinary community we'll get to in a little bit. Um, so we had that and the builder. Now, Esperanza, we spoke about this earlier, George Eldridge. He's come up mm -hmm. a few times in our Hamptons podcast. Yes, yes. Sea Spray Inn, East Hampton Star Building, right? So that's who was there. So the pre-existing, so this is where we were. And the Dunes, when it's completed, was a 30-room stucco mansion considered the largest estate in East Hampton. Now, we've gone down this grander path before with both the Bell Estate and um, and uh, Bayberry Lands in Southampton. But, you know, imagine the grounds, sunken Italian gardens, stables, a dairy barn, garages, a laundry house, servants' quarters. So if I'm not mistaken, part of that estate continues to exist, very modified now, but um, there's a pink house? Yes. Okay. That yes. is correct. Just that on is... highway behind the pond and that... on that curve, that, that is... is part of that... the original estate. That is correct. And it... also, it's a great point. In Which multiple... was the dairy. I think that was the dairy. I think that was where the end. But it's a great point on, on multiple levels because it also is an indicator of the sheer size of this holding. Remember, Wyboard Beach is more on the easterly portion of East Hampton Village. Um, it's, it's, it's east of Main Beach. Yes. Um, so, and this highway behind the pond is technically just west of Main Beach. So imagine all of this property, uh, you know, that expanse. He probably took in hook pond views as well. Wait, um, no, highway behind the pond is the road that leads to Wyboard Beach. Oh, pardon me. Yeah. Stand corrected. Not West End, you know, I think you're talking about Georgia Carey. She, she, yeah, she's a, all right. I, this is I, my neighborhood. This is, <laughs> this is where that, I that, grew up. That, that's her lane. I, and I, and I, uh, and uh, we do very little editing on our Hamptons podcast. This might be something I would consider editing out, but no, I like Esperanza. No, I think it's, I think, okay. She, it's fine. Like, it's fine. We're just it situating it was, everybody. It, was, it wasn't a reprimand. No, not at all. <laughs> you just confused me for I, a I, moment. <laughs> and I confused myself. I, I discombobulated myself because to your point, yes, you are correct. Because highway off half the pond runs off a further lane west of uh of Egypt Lane, right? Uh, so okay, okay. So there we 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 geographically set it in place. Okay, so that's where we were with the dunes, thirty rooms, stucco, not a common building material, by the way, out here at that time, if I'm not mistaken either. Um, but this is, I think, a good part to now. We'll start to morph a little bit, bring the kids into play, their daughter eldest daughter, Sarah Murphy. Um, now, Sarah Murphy became famous in the 1920s. Now, remember, this is still the era of the Dunes. Um, she was a literary inspiration for F. Scott Fitzgerald. You know, the whole, now would we say that, was it, it wasn't for the Great Gatsby, was it for the Great Gatsby? I'm not sure. I mean, Great Gatsby was really West Egg, East Egg, North Shore of Long Island, but she was an inspiration in some way, shape or form. For they F. both Scott were, Fitzgerald. yeah. She and her and her husband, um, Murphy, uh, Gerald Murphy. Gerald Murphy. Right. Yeah, she was also a great inspiration for many artists. You know, they spent a lot of their time in Europe. So anyway, but but that is no, that is we're that getting is a, away from East no, Hampton. No, 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 but it is. <laughs> but we're, we're actually but gonna, it's we're going to go there, right? Because 
Shit. They brought all of that here. <laughs> These segues are just unbelievable because that's exactly where we are I love going. this story. I, it is such a great story. I mean, it it just, I know there's my redundancy again. I apologize, our Hamptons audience, but I can't help it. I'm excited about, I'm excited about the story. And just to put a little, you know, to sort of put everything a little bit into play, and we're going to get into the Wyborg Murphy, uh, the Murph, the Gerald and Sarah Murphy, Gerald Murphy's business was Mark Cross. That was, yeah, that was the family business. Yeah. Yes. Leather and everything else. I think they, did they even make pens? As they, they? I, yes, I, I was right? just going to say, I was wondering how that might relate. I, yeah. I mean, but, but I think, is this just, is I this think like it was rich... mainly the leather goods. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I mean, it's like, is this the rich getting richer? Hey, hey, father-in-law, you know, uh, can you do a deal on the ink a, for me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, One I, hand washes the other. Yeah, appar apparently so. So, Touching on the children for a second, and now we're going to go back. This was a great article I uncovered when I was researching the story Esperanza from New York Magazine. And it's really, it's relevant, even though it's 17 years old. We're going to go back to 2000, 2006. But, you know, Gerald and Sarah Murphy, now they married in 1915. Um, they were young, obviously. Gerald's yeah, I think she was actually a little older than him. Gerald was 16 and Sarah was 20 and they met at a party in East Hampton where yeah. the golden ages millionaires would just be getting to erect mansions along these sands. So Gerald's parents were actually in Southampton um, at this, at this time. That's where, that's where he was from. Oh, and here Esperanza speaking of the literary connection, F. Scott Fitzgerald used them for the mod, both of them. Tenders, the and I, I was trying Tender, right. to remember. Yes, exactly, yes, yes. exactly. We got a little ahead the of drivers. ourselves before, but that, the drivers, exactly, exactly. But again, let's go into their lifestyle. The 20s were spent living on the Riviera with their three children. You know, they bought, I'm going to let Esperanza uh, read read that word, the Cap d'Antibes. Antibes, how are we Cap d'Antibes. Exactly. <laughs> we got Esperanza for that. She's a... Uh, She's much more international in flavor than me. I'm still basically from Queens. But, um, <laughs> but um, again, just to give you this example, uh, you know, Gerald was a painter as well. And I mean, he yes, actually- Yes, a really good one, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. was he well, like, did he, he wasn't making no. a living as a painter. He no, no, but he was a really excellent painter. And um, and I think there's a painting in, at the Museum of Modern Art of his, I'm not okay. sure, but not a lot of his work survives, so- right. Anyway. And, you know, to, to talk about the friends that they were entertaining at the time, you know, it was Fitzgerald, Hemingway, Cole Porter, you know, same type of people to come over to my house, you know, <laughs> 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 but um, again, again, it comes back how, you know, look, Picasso, I mentioned yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, uh, their lives were far from perfect. I mean, they, they both died before adulthood. Uh, you know, their kids were ill and had so you know, of their three children, I think only one Honoria became the sole heir of everything. But I guess here's where things start to change, Esperanza. Even though this, they were living these, the whole family, the Bur the Murphys and um, the Weibergs were living this gilded age, the 600 acres was shrinking. And when the Gerald and Sarah moved there in the 30s, they were, they were starting to sell off parcels. And by the 1930s, they were down to 80 acres. Mm. You know, and still, still quite a great deal. I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're not going to 
when no one's sneering at 80 oceanfront acres, obviously, but it's a significant drop off. And again, you know, it's a, it's also like sort of a, a familiar theme with these kind of estates, Esperanza. We've spoken about this, I mean, even with like the Rennert property in, in Sagaponic. What's their future? People don't really live like this. Right, right. And inevitably, right, the the Murphys um, had to, I mean, it was just sad, but in a way good, I guess, uh, demolish the the dunes because they couldn't they couldn't sell it. Nobody wanted the 30 room mansion. Correct. And uh, I mean, this is, you know, nearing wartime, you know, I mean, it's post-depression. And, exactly. It, you know, exactly. Not a good time to sell a 30 uh, yeah. house. The, the, the great point about the depression, I mean, the, you know, the research I did really wasn't, they didn't really get into whether Murphy and or Wyborg were losing, you know, I don't think they became bankrupt. I don't know. I'm sure they had money in the stock market. I'm sure they took a hit. I don't know. If that was the motivation for changing their life, it probably was part of it. But again, just the managing something like this, the the, the expense, the I mean, and again, they had some health issues. They're not. It's just wasn't the way to live. Yeah. And but in now we're fast forwarding this, and it's interesting because it brings up a person we're both familiar with, Laura Donnelly, who was writer for the star yes. um, and was apparently uh, the granddaughter of Sarah and Gerald Murphy. Yes. Um, so they built an, uh, they built a house they called the little hut next to the servants quarters and garage in 1959. And the daughter on which I assume is Laura's mother was. Laura's yes. Mother. Mm-hmm. Okay. You would know. Yes. Um, they dubbed that the pink house. And that's the pink house you referred to. Correct. Which is also, now, have you seen that property, Esperanza? Are you familiar with it, the aesthetics of it at all, or not? Yeah, I mean, it is the pink house. It's stucco, and then right. it was it was acquired. Um, gosh, I mean, over ten years ago now, and and really quite renovated in a way that you know probably destroyed most of the right. integrity that it had, although it wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't like a significant architectural structure in the sense of like an Atterbury building, right. but it was still had the significance of having been the home of these people. Right. Right. Yeah. And well, apparently, which is happened... right. It's right on hook pond, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, but it's visible from the road in other words. Oh, um, totally. Right on. Yeah. Yes. Right on the road. Yeah. You know, I, I should really confess that, um, I'm sort of so bad with colors. Like if you told me the house would pink, was pink, I would say, really? You know, I tend to wear like a, I like wear a white Oxford shirt and chinos because I can't go wrong, you know, but, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, maybe I'd need someone to point, you know, maybe I'll have to go with you or Rachel one day and pay, pay Erwin, that's pink. That probably <laughs> would be helpful. Yeah. But um, apparently the house, you know, part of the, the impetus for the demolition and whatnot was there was damage to it in the thick hurricane of 38. Oh, that's and, true. Yeah. yeah. To the I mean, dunes. So, yes, yeah, of exactly. And they actually had the East Hampton village fire department burn it to the ground as a training exercise. And that's how, uh, and that's what happened, which was in 1941. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so that, that's what, that's what really, you know, went down, you know, at this point, at this point in time. Um but Grossfinner Atterbury, we'll just backtrack a touch while we sort of segue into him a little bit. Um, this was his really his first major commission on Eastern Long Island. One of, and again, this is a guy that ultimately, as we're going to speak of shortly, Forest Hills Gardens, the Met, everything else. But And he did work in Southampton as, as well. But this was really his first 
um, his first really main project out here. Wow. And, you know, we're calling this is another article we found, which was, to, you know, this is still from New York Magazine, actually, but, oh, excuse me, this is from a interview from Nicole Borliski. Borliski, yes. Borliski, thank you for that. See, she not, not only is her international uh, expertise helpful, she does correct my pronunciation. As well, Nicole's a family friend, so. Okay, and, and, <laughs> and, she, and, and she knows my, my queen's uh, linguistic sort of massacre name. So thank you, Esperanza. I'm, a, I'm, I'm truthfully grateful. And the architect, Anna Serkin, who, um, this was from a Hamptons.com story. Again, same time frame, I think, around 2019. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, I think uh, the, this architect, Anna Serkin, um, it has spoken about, you know, sort of the big home syndrome. So it's yes. interesting that she should be interviewed about this particular, well, I mean, Trip, yes, about Atterbury, but this particular estate also. Yeah, because again, now another great segue, not even in our outline today, but is something Esperanza brings up that really does merit being mentioned here. So much of what we talk about going into present day is the supersizing of houses and everything else. And while we've always had the caveat, even when discussing it, the bookends of East Hampton and South Hampton always had this. This is nothing new, but uh, great point to bring in. It is sort of history repeating itself to an extent, uh, the grander and everything else, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um, really true. But getting a little bit into uh, Grosvenor Atterbury, um, just for a minute, with Forest Hills Gardens, that's what he's very, very famous for. Now, I am a guy from Queens, as we all know. And um, this enclave in Queens is extraordinary. I was telling the Sesperanza before we went on air. It was, I mean, you had every, it was Russell Sage was involved in this, in this, um, in this land, the Russell Sage Foundation, Margaret Sage, the founder. Um, Olmstead. Frederick Law Olmstead, you know, had, was involved in the landscape design of this. There were 142 acres of land that they bought from Cord Meyer in Queens. And, and again, to our audience, I know this isn't our Queens, but we have to throw this in. Okay. <laughs> this is, I do I want said, to start an our I, Queens podcast. Hey, Erwin, I said, I said, we talk about the bookends of the Hamptons, but this is the bookends of Long Island, Queens and Hampton. Queens and Hampton. has brought this up a few times and, she, <laughs> and she's exactly right. I, and I feel guilty because... I'm the Queens guy, but she's really unearthing this, how this stuff Queens does. There's a it's connection. It's amazing, you know, how, how all this is. So, but again, you had, just to give a little bit of geography here in Queens, this is Western Queens, Forest Hills, even leaning into a touch of uh, of um, Kew Gardens, but really Forest, uh, Forest Hills. But there is a forest park which straddles those two borders. That's where the landscape architect firm, you know, Frederick Law Olmsted was uh, developing that plan for the park. And then you had Margaret Sage, the Russell Sage Foundation. And this area, Esperanza used this when we were discussing this in advance. It's sort of aspirational in a sense because it's, these are not supersized houses. These are small lots. It's a very thought out urban development of beautiful yeah. houses, Tudors, some attached, some completely detached, very small properties. I'm going to guess if they are 0.2 of an acre, they're a lot, you know. Um, but it doesn't look overcrowded and it doesn't feel uh, dense, even though there is a density, right? Correct. It, yeah. it, it does not feel dense. There is no. It's sort of that garden city. And I mean, I don't mean garden city long. I mean, like the, the principle of the garden city, like the British garden city that 
is livable, walkable exactly houses, you know, kind of close together. So exactly, so exactly correct. And the walkable aspect, because I will tell you, if you go one to two blocks away from here, you are in the midst of the hustle and bustle of Austin street. One of the busiest streets in Queens, one block further, you have Queens Boulevard. And it's sort of like urban sprawl. I mean, um, urban sprawl, tremendous retail Queens Boulevard's a highway. I mean, eight, right. Right. You know, I mean, yet, you walk in this enclave. By the way, there's no parking on the streets. The streets. I are know because yeah, when you we went get, to that concert at the stadium. An, another great segue. Yes, now we, there is a Forest Hill Stadium. Back in the day, that Forest Hill Stadium was the West End Tennis Club. Yeah. Uh, West Side Tennis Club, Westside. which was where the U.S. Open was played. And again, it's in the middle of this residential area. It, just a mag- magnificent, magnificent building. Also, Frederick. Uh, you know, uh, also uh, Grossman Atterbury had a hand in it, I believe, you know, but that was the kind of community. And it was to your point, Esperanza, the neighborhood was planned on the model of the garden communities in Queens, its own in because of the entry to this. If you go to the cobblestone entry that uh, straddles the commercial. Welcome to our Queens podcast. Uh, that straddles. <laughs> <laughs> that straddles the. um the commercial and residential um, districts of this neighborhood. It is a wide cobblestone uh, roundabout, to use a word that's very popular out here, which had the Forest Hills Inn, which was a hotel and in the day now is a condominium or co-op community. Um, And these houses were just, again, not large, but narrow, the winding roads, winding intentionally to limit traffic yeah yeah i mean and, and then again you go out of here to the west it's metropolitan avenue or the other side busy urban queens sprawl you wouldn't know it existed when you were in these in this community so so um and forest hills uh predates um the dunes no no, it's sim- more from the 20s, isn't it's it? It's somewhat simultaneous okay. because the land, great question, the land was bought, 142 acres was bought from Cord Meyer, the big developer, huge Queens footprint on all sides of Forest Hills to this day. They bought it in 1908. So okay. this development was so going on. So it was on kind of parallel, yeah. Similar, okay. right. And the railroad Esperanza in Forest Hills, the L. Remember the subways. You know, we're not talking. We're talking the L. I. R. R. There was a subway station opened in Forest Hills in 1911. The Queens Boulevard trolley line. Two years later, that's amazing. And then I just I think about how you know you as an architect would just trans you know transport yourself on the train perhaps right right um to from a situation like this you know of of closer to the to Manhattan and to, you know, sort of urban development. Right. And come out here and how, like, what the mindset was to work with clients like the um, Wyborgs to create, to expand an original farmhouse, cottage, whatever yes. it was that was on that land into this sprawling mansion. Exactly. And completely true. And, you know, by the way, it should also be brought out that uh, in terms of Atterbury, this is another name, uh, you know, we uh, another name, East Hampton name we know. There was also another house he built, Stucco, at the time, same era, uh, a little bit earlier maybe, for Albert and Adele Herder. 
Oh, words, right. Yeah, the creeks. Yeah, yeah, of exactly, course. Right. Exactly yeah. right. So yeah. this is stucco as well, which seemed to be his, uh, which seemed to be sort of his. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the herders had the creeks and then it was Alfonso Sorio and exactly. today it's uh, Ron Perlman. Exactly. So uh, Grossvener Atterbury had his hand in the creeks too, apparently, according to this story. So, uh -huh. but we should, you know, to start wrapping things up to an extent and just sort of bringing everything full circle. So, and again, Atterbury, you know, so between Forest Hills and then the projects he did in Manhattan um, were just, he put his footprint, he put his imprint rather uh, out on Eastern Long Island, I would say with both the Herder property and um, the Wyborg property. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, that that was the start, the dunes was the start of his career, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but then with forest, things like Forest Hills Gardens, you know, he was really trying to uh, create housing for so, sort of lower middle class income families, right? I mean, that's, it's, 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 that's I, why I was kind of asking that question I, before of how I, I, I don't I, I don't I don't know if I don't you know I mean I don't think Forest Hills Gardens was ever um not lower middle class right. but yeah, middle I mean, class I, I mean uh, I would say middle or I mean again I, I couldn't find any information on what the price points were at those times but I mean just um a line I always like to use with real estate and we probably have used it on our Hamptons a lot of times you know how good is always good yeah yeah Forest Hills Gardens has always been good. Always 100 been good. years later, it's good. You know, and during... that's what happens with proper planning and good design. That's a, that editorial <laughs> perspective by Esperanza Leon was proudly brought to you by our Hamptons podcast. But you're welcome. <laughs> and we thank you for it. Absolutely. But um, really great community, just a great story. And, um, it's just interesting how this is something I sort of just thought of. I mean, I'm going to say this extemporaneously, Esperanza. It's this place, our Hamptons, um, just the importance that a hundred years ago, a hundred plus, we've had people like Atterbury, like McKean Mead and White. Like, these were people that were building houses out here a yeah. hundred years ago. And yeah. then you bring it closer to present day and you had the Andrew Gellers and everyone else. Right. I was thinking, I mean, this is not always like the luxury build, you know, exactly. I mean, this was, you know, you have Sheffer, you have um, Geller, you've got, I mean, Jaffe, you know, that yes. you've got from the beach, like the humble beach cottage to the dunes, the 30 room dunes. And, 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 you know, I guess Esperanza, wow, this is really coming in organically here, but I'm just going with it, you know, the, the common denominator is this place. It is, yeah. This sense of place, the light, the ocean, the bays, the farmland, the forest, the topography, all things coming together that the reasons the artists want to be here, the writers wanted to be here, the greatest minds of our generation have been drawn to this place. Not to mention people of obvious financial means like the Wyborgs. Yeah. Yeah. We have well, to put our finger on that. What is it? What is it about this place? Who can explain this? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I just listed the 
sort of the obvious. Right, right. You know, the, the, natural. The, the natural physical beauty. But, you know, to your point, Esperanza, this could that this could be an episode, literally, the intangibles of our of of this place. And there is beyond the beauty and everything else. Such a great point you just brought up. And I, I'm going with this now. What are those intangibles? Like, what is it? You went, you know, you came from South America. You lived in Toronto, as your history goes, and everything. You came back, and you were drawn to come back here. Yeah, I came back, and I sat on the beach at Wyborg Beach, in right. fact. There you go. Wow, what I a said, segue. And I said, wow, you know, I missed and, this. And I had, you know, there were beaches plenty in Venezuela, beautiful beaches. This now, It's not the same. And now that's a, pr a perspective from someone born in South America, that but, but but spent really her formative years, obviously, here. But so to give you mine, since we talked about Queens anyway, I was a guy from Queens and I moved up island and we lived in a lovely bedroom community, you know, in Great Neck um, when my wife and I were married and raised our family there. But I will tell you from the time five years into living in Great Neck, we bought our house um, in East Hampton. Uh, we always considered East Hampton home. Yeah. Not. And here you right. are, you know, right? Like this exactly. is, you chose That's, this place we, or maybe it chose you. I don't know. <laughs> on that note, that's the perfect place to close because that's very true. Either we chose this place or this cho place chose us. Yes. A rhetorical question, not, a, not that easy to answer, but Esperanza, that was a great journey. I really yes. enjoyed that. A little that. meandering through Wyborg and. Exactly. And you know, a sense of place, really. Completely. You don't think we're going to get reprimanded for the Queen's connections, do you? No, no. Okay. I think we should do a, a, a separate podcast, in fact. We're going to... Well. Think about it, producer. A discussion. <laughs> a discussion for... An, a discussion, certainly, for another day. Thanks so much, Esperanza. That was great. Thank you, Erwin. Till next time. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us. New episodes of Our Hamptons are released every other Tuesday. Find them wherever you get your podcasts.